Right, so here we are. Taming the tongue is impossible. Um, You know, the other week I was saying how, you know, I'm a talker. And uh, I've met, since met many other talkers who can feel my pain that we have so much bursting to come out that we can't help ourselves. We very much think aloud people and we get to the end of it and go, yeah, no, that wasn't right. And we start again. So you have to bear with us, um, especially as teachers. (laughs) Um, I don't know about you, but um, I'm okay saying nice things when I'm (laughs) well-rested, so I'm laughing, Uh, when I've had a really good week, Uh, people have been particularly nice to me, Uh, something good has happened in my life and I feel joyous, Um, and at these moments I'm full of blessings for people. I'm so compassionate, I'm thoughtful in my words, but I know if you sleep-deprive me for a good couple of nights, it's not a pretty place to be. I also know if I feel overwhelmed with pressure at work, I can be snappy and bad-tempered. I know that I have pressure points when I feel like my opinion or my decisions have been brushed aside and not respected. That's what I've had to look at this week anyway. (laughs) And we perhaps all struggle, don't we? We will all have our own pressure points that cause what is in us to come out. We know uh, that we can be victims to exaggerate stuff, to paint good pictures of ourselves and leave out others. We know we can be harsh in our words when pushed correctly, in the right place with the right button, either to our work colleagues or our friends or who gets a lot, our families. And those are the people that we end up snapping with. No human is fireproof from the fire of our tongues. We know that. And we all know perhaps the person, if we think about it, or the situation that will push the button for us. We equally know people that we encounter that are always complaining or perhaps always gossiping or always negative, and they're not a joy to be around. But we equally know that can be us as well. Fortunately (laughs) for us, the Bible's full of people whose mouths run away with them. And it's also full of lots of verses to encourage us and to help us with controlling our own words. In the book of James, we've been looking at him. We know that he's not a gentle, gentle. He is a pickaxe man. He's a bit, um, I don't say this, but northern. Kind of calls a spade a spade, doesn't he? He says it as it is, and he's not going to sugarcoat it in any way. And he was a teacher, and we'll come to that in a minute. He's also, you might have noticed, incredibly good at painting pictures. I think he would have been a great teacher to sit under. He's always got loads of illustrations or pictures to help put his point across, to help the reader remember what he's trying to say. And he kicks off this week in chapter 3, and you might want to get it. 
um, in front of you. As Rob said, he kicks off this week talking about teachers. He says um, in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who touch, teach sorry, will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole bodies in check. <clears throat> Now, James here is interesting because, remember, he is a teacher. And here, you'll notice, if you look carefully, that he has changed his pronouns when he's teaching. If you look back, you'll see when he starts to talk, he often says brothers or sisters. In chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers and sisters. Chapter 2, verse 5, listen, my brothers and sisters. Chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, and so on. He often uses the word you, but look carefully in three. And what does he say, verse two? We all stumble. It is in this point that he switches to we, we, we. If you had a pencil, I'd get you to go through and circle them all. And I think this is because he is getting to something that's very close to his own heart. You know, when we're humbled on something, we're going to teach it, and we know that we have a problem, the pronouns very quickly switch to we. And that is where he is. He says, we all stumble in many ways. You know, he's sitting with us in this. It's really close to his heart. We all sin in lots of different ways. And he says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And you see that way? Fun fact, perfect, the Greek word, is used seven times in James. He's clever, James. You'll notice if you really look at him that he does a lot of play on words and he's really into his words. And of course, seven is often symbolic of perfection. So he uses it seven times. Fun fact by the side. But perfect, this word means to be complete or whole. So imagine the you that is whole. The you that no longer um, struggles with insecurities because you are completely secure in Christ. Imagine the you that doesn't struggle with anxiety because you are completely full of the peace of Christ. You're completely full with that understanding that Christ is in control, that he knows every day that is to come. You don't struggle with needing others' approval because you know the perfect approval of Christ. The perfect you is the one that is made whole in Jesus. Everything that's needed to make you perfect and whole is found in him. To be the person that you were intended to be. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not there. <laughs> okay, I'm still struggling with those things. And that's why he says in here... Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying, you know, none of us are there. 
We all struggle because we're not there yet. Jesus hasn't returned. We've not been made whole. We've got a battle, um, as Paul, another writer, says, between the kind of old us and the new us. And that tension is at work in us as we are made like Jesus. We are made whole by Jesus. And this is our goal. And then he goes on to say... um, about bits in the mouth of horses. Now, why does he do that? Remember, James loves words. If you look back a bit, he says, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, the word keep, see if I can do this, means bridle. Can you see where he's going? He did it in chapter one, interestingly, although you may have missed it, when he talked about joy in, also, joy in your trials. Because just before it, that word greetings means joy. And he spun off it. And he does it again here with the word bridle. Anyone who is never at fault is able to bridle his whole body. That's lead it and restrain it and make it go in the direction we want it to go, including our tongues. And he goes on here using three examples. He uses the bridle on the horse, saying that the bit that they put in their mouth is small, but it turns the horse. Then he uses a rudder on a ship. How, if it's got a good captain and it's steered slightly, it can turn a massive ship. It's very small. And then finally, he uses the illustration of a spark that is able to set fire to a whole forest. You only need a tiny spark. Can you see how here, he's the man of pictures, And he gives three little examples to make his point that small things can do great things, can change a massive beast, can move a huge ship, can burn an entire forest. The tongue is tiny, but it has a lot of control. A word said to us in our childhood can affect our whole lives. A casual word brought out maybe in a group of friends that might have something to do with us can sting us and send us spiraling for the rest of the week. Tiny comments can build people up or destroy people. Our words are very powerful. A word can break someone's heart or set their heart on fire with joys that are in cartwheels. But it's just words, and it's very tiny. They can destroy relationships. They can take countries to war. And they can break families apart. We had um, a reading from the message earlier. And I've picked out just this part of what we saw read to us in that. It says, it only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, 
set the whole world up in send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it smoke right from the pit of hell that's just a paraphrase of what james is saying here but our tongues of course aren't the problem do you remember when Jesus was teaching? He said, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out, blah, blah, blah. But the point was you can't remove the things um, that make you sinful because Jesus is more interested in the heart. When our tongues speak, what is actually coming out is what's inside. And sometimes that can really surprise us because, um, as I was saying to someone just over coffee just a minute ago, we can control the rest of it by perhaps removing it from situations, just going, we can look morally okay, but actually our mouths often reveal what's secretly going on in our house. Um, in Matthew 12, Jesus said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. It isn't any good cutting out the tongue. The tongue is never the problem. Just like money is not the problem, it's what is behind it. What does James say in verse 6? The tongue is also a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. If we don't watch what we say, we risk damaging our relationships, we risk damaging others. And we need to just think, as they say sometimes very simply, is it kind? Is it necessary? And does it need to be said right now? He goes on, verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed. And in the message, do you remember, he says you can tame a tiger, but you can't tame the tongue. And have been tamed by mankind, but verse 8 no, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And its fuel, its energy, comes from hell. This is scary stuff, isn't it? But, oops, what I love is the bit I've highlighted there. No human being can tame the tongue. So when we're sitting thinking, yes, that is me, we all sit together along with James, who starts and continues this passage in the pronoun we. He's putting us all in the same boat. We cannot tame the tongue. But as he talks about fire, it made me think of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They, seem, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here, the tongue of a believer taps into a different fire the fire of the Holy Spirit. And often when the Holy Spirit first comes, some people burst out praising, either in English or in, or in other tongues. It's an outpouring of what is filling their heart. Can you see how that works? They now have a different source that they are able to tap into. These early believers were filled with power, the power of the Spirit that enabled them to go and speak and testify of the goodness of God, to praise and worship, to sing, to pray in tongues, whatever they needed to do. And they were fueled by the Holy Spirit, that fire from heaven. And as we as believers receive the Spirit, our hearts, we know, are transformed. Our hearts are changed. Our hearts are going, are kind of, uh, what's the right word? Penetrated, yes, by the Spirit of God as he begins to change us. James goes on and talks about this situation where we have been filled with the Spirit but we still sin. So here goes on. Look at verse 9 and 10. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. James is talking about the middle place we find ourselves in as Christians. We are saved, that is secure, our inheritance is Jesus, we will be made perfect, but we're on a journey of being made perfect. We are being, it is happening right now. And we all stumble, we all fall. Given the right situation, we know we have that great saying, don't we? Like, you know, it, you look at someone, you just think, mm, if I was in that situation, would I have done the same thing? And we often think, oh, quite possibly. Actually, I'm not in that situation. Because we know that the right environment, the right push could send us into a place perhaps we think we would never, ever go. We can praise on a Sunday morning and then we can rip each other apart on the way home in the car because we have these two things going on, two types of fire. And here James goes on to the two types of water. It's another illustration that Jesus used, of course. So he uses three here. The fountain, both with sweet and salty. The fig tree, producing olives. The grape vine, producing figs. 
And James, like his brother Jesus, half-brother Jesus, is using the same illustration that by what happens, we know a person. Jesus said, by their fruit, you'll know them. And James answers, asks an obvious question, of course. He says, can a fig tree produce olives? Well, of course not. Can a grapevine produce figs? Well, of course not. But when he uses this salt and sweet thing, so if we look at it, we see fresh water and salt. Well, that could be bitter and sweet in the Greek. He's saying, out of you coming, bursting forth, is both. And he says, this should not be. This should not be. Um, if you know your Exodus, you'll uh, remember how, and, and I'm not kind of saying that this is a, a theological point, but I am saying that he might have had this in his mind, was when they came to the water of bitterness, they threw into it a piece of wood to make it sweet. And that can also be a picture of us. When we are bitter, we need Jesus to make us sweet. And you can draw those parallels if you want. So, Peter also would have been in this congregation. And he writes this in his letter. I can bring it up. Oh, here we are. Wait. Oh. Okay. This is what Peter writes. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. You see how James takes both of these, the physical and the verbal, no deceit was found in Jesus' mouth. And perhaps that was how he was most readily identified at first, because his words weren't sinful. He says, when they hurled insults, insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And how hard is it for us when we are unjustly accused of something to not retaliate, to not live in that place of bitterness, to not hold a grudge? But Jesus made no... um, He did not retaliate at all. And then it goes on. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. He took every word we have uttered wrongly and every word that was uttered against us wrongly on himself on the cross that we might walk in freedom, that we might know sweetness instead of bitterness, that we might know forgiveness instead of condemnation, that we might know acceptance instead of rejection. He took those words that have been spoken over you and took them into himself. When you have lost it completely, we know we can go to Jesus who has fully taken them so that we can walk free of guilt and shame and walk in his love and his forgiveness. 
And then it says, in the end of verse 24, by his wounds you have been healed. And of course, healed and saved, the same word. Again, we're back to, you have been made whole, complete. You have been given everything you need to live in that wholeness. Jesus bore our sins. Not one of us can say, I don't have a problem. In fact, as James says, we all stumble in many ways. But he's taken it away. He's given us that choice. We can go to the fountain of death or the fountain of life. As we live in our workplaces and our schools and our universities and in our families, we can bring life by our words or we can bring death by our words. Our words are powerful. We can build up each other in this community or we can tear people down. We can be an encourager of people and say, yes, I loved it. That was great. You're doing a brilliant job. Or you can go straight away to the thing that they didn't quite get perfect. And you can go straight to judgment. And if you're naturally wired that way, for some people it's harder than others. Some of us have got the gift of encouragement and, you know, that's a thing that we're able to, to move in and enjoy. Other, others of us can always see what was wrong. And it is a bigger wrestle. But we are called, all of us, to think about the words we use before we speak. We're transformed into Jesus' likeness. And he said this, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It is his spirit in us that wells up to that sweetness, that eternal life, that quality of life that transforms ourselves, our families, our communities, our schools as the words we use bring life wherever we go. We all know that we sin in our words. So, As we finish, I just want us to consider the week ahead. It might be you're on half term, and your pressure points this week might be a million children, all demanding your time and your opinion and your services at the same moment. I know that's not a great place for me. It might be that you're going into an incredibly stressful environment at work, where you've got deadlines to hit. People are blaming you that it hasn't happened on time. That might be a pressure point for you. It might be that you've got family visiting this week. Sorry if there's any here. (laughs) And that might be a pressure for you. What is your pressure point going to be this week? Taming the tongue is impossible. But there is one that can. And we need his spirit welling up in us to eternal life. So we're going to just spend a few moments now. I'm just going to ask you in your own time, just uh, maybe the band could come up. Uh, 
Um, just wondering if maybe Andrew, um, Steve, could you quietly just play us a bit of lovely guitar? That would be beautiful. And um, I'm just going to give us all a chance to think, what are our sparks? And where do we need the Spirit's power to come in this coming week? What does he need to transform? What does he need to bring fresh water into? And it will be different for each one of us. So let's just be quiet and allow the Spirit just to speak to us now.